I watched this video of a reporter who walked towards a trailer home with two children. As they walked towards a trailer home, these two children carried guns with them for protection. And as you began to view the trailer home and their storage area, there were cans of jelly found in the storage area that had been canned since 1978. The scene was a home in the Rocky Mountains where a family had decided to plant their lives in the middle of nowhere. They wanted to live off the grid, away from all things. Perhaps a question you might have is, why? Why would a family ever decide to do such a thing? What's this family doing in the middle of nowhere? Well, they are known as preppers, doomsday preppers. They are there in hopes to avoid the end of the world, the apocalypse. See, this family had chosen to live their lives in light of the end of the world. I wonder, as we've been singing songs of the second coming of Christ, songs that rejoice when our Savior returns, Christian, do you understand that we too must live in light of the end? That one day our Savior will return and we will all have to give account to him. We see this reality in our passage this morning. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 14. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 25. Verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property, To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But when he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money, Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered them, You wicked and slothful servant! You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. 
and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let us pray together. Father, you are a good and gracious God who, have, who has given us your Son. Father, would you help us see and understand the amazing reality that you have entrusted us with much. You have entrusted a sinful people who only deserve your glory with the amazing reality to display you to the watching world and to live for your kingdom here as we wait for the coming of your Son. Father, would you cause us to live lives of faithfulness, faithfulness to what you have entrusted to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our passage this morning is a parable. And before we continue to dig deep into our parable, we have to understand that parables are not designed that every detail in the parable has a specific related spiritual truth. Right? Not every detail in a parable has a specific related truth. No, parables are given to teach us one specific truth. So the good question we must ask ourselves this morning is, what does the Lord want to teach us this morning in this parable? Well, let's look at verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey. The it here is the kingdom of heaven. We learn this because of verse 1. Look, look at verse 1 of the same chapter. Jesus begins the parable before with these very words. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Jesus is continuing to give another parable about the kingdom of heaven. That's what our parable is about this morning, the kingdom of heaven. But it begs the next question, what about the kingdom of heaven? Well, to understand this, we have to go a little wider. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Look at verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? So we see Jesus is in a conversation with his disciples. What about? Well, the second coming of Christ and the end of the age. So in chapter 24, what Jesus does, he begins to explain to his disciples what they should expect as they wait for his return. Now, we don't have the time and the ability to discuss all these details this morning, but Jesus is clear about two things. First, that God's people will come face to face with difficulty and suffering. God's people will come face to face with difficulty and suffering for his name as they wait. And second, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back and he will return. Well, after his explanation... Jesus begins to use different stories and parables to teach his disciples how they must wait. So first he teaches them about what to expect, and then next Jesus teaches them how they must wait. So in verses 36 to 44, Jesus emphasizes that his coming can come sooner than we expect. It comes sooner than we expect. In verses 45 to 56, Jesus emphasizes that his coming can come later than we expect. 
in the parable right before our passage this morning, the parable of the ten virgins, Jesus emphasizes the need for his disciples to be ready for his return. Well, our passage this morning also teaches us how we are to live in light of Christ's return. Here's the main point I want to see. So if you want one overarching theme, this is it. God expects that we live faithful lives for his kingdom in light of the return of Jesus. God expects that we live faithful lives for his kingdom in light of the return of Jesus. Put simply, be faithful to the end because Jesus is coming back. To help us see this, we'll split our text into three parts. First, the master who entrusts. Second, the servant's response. And third, the master's reward and judgment. A master who entrusts, the servant's response, and the master's reward and judgment. First, a master who entrusts. Look with me again at verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. So here we learn of a master who's going on a journey, going away, and what does he do? He entrusts his servants with his property. We learn about it some more in verse 15. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The master gives them talents. This is a unit of money. A talent was worth about 20 years wages of work. 20 year wages of work. One commentator says that this would be about $800,000 today. Right? This is the amount that the master entrusts to them. For each talent, $800,000. So the master entrusts varying talents to each of his servants according to their ability. And it's implied in the story that the master expects growth. The master expects growth. He expects his servants to do something with these talents, to grow them. We see this in the master's response later on, right? He rewards the two who have grown what they were given, and he condemns the one who did nothing. What an astounding responsibility. What an astounding reality the master would entrust such a value of money to his servants. And yet, church, this is exactly what the Lord does with us. In the same way that this master entrusts these servants with talents, so the Lord has entrusted you and me with various things. Entrusted them to us to be used, not for our own kingdom or the growth of our own fame and our name, but the growth of God's kingdom. I wonder how have we responded to what the Lord has entrusted to us. Well, our parable shows we could respond in two ways. We can respond in two ways. Second, the servant's response. The servant's response. We see two different responses here in this parable. Faithfulness and laziness. We see faithfulness and laziness. First, faithfulness. Look at what the first two servants do. Verse 16. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. 
What do they do with what's been entrusted with them? They double their talents. They grow what was entrusted to them. And look at the response of the master. Verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. So the master returns, and the two servants come and present to him what they've done. And did you notice the response of the master? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. Notice it's the same response for both of these servants. If his master doesn't compare the five talents to the two, he just expects faithfulness and commends them both. What's the point? It's that they were faithful with what was entrusted to them. They were faithful to grow what was entrusted to them. Oh, church, in the same way, we have a master who is returning and we will have to give account to him when he returns. We will have to give account with, Lord, this is what you gave me. These are the responsibilities, the, the gifts, the things that you have gifted to me, and this is how I use them for your glory. Are we going to respond like these servants with faithfulness, working to grow God's kingdom with what's been entrusted to us? Or are we going to respond with laziness? This is the response of the, se- the third servant. Look at verse 18. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now we might think that this is a strange and odd thing to do. After all, no one here will be going out into the desert of Jebel Ali and taking all our dirhams and digging a hole and hiding it. We don't do that. But this was actually a common way to keep things safe. It ensured that it would not be stolen or lost. But we see that the master is not pleased. Look at the master's response to this third servant, verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. The servant seems to blame his laziness and lack of faithfulness on the master. Did you notice that? He doesn't see the master as a loving and kind master who's entrusted much to him, but he sees him as a tyrant, taking what is not his. So he attacks the master's character and blames the master for his own faults. 
Oh, how easy it is that we blame our great God for our own sins. The master, aware of this, asks, if this is what you truly believed at me, about me, then you should have done something. If you truly believed that I actually reap what I did not sow, it still should have led you to action. But it didn't. And so the master says, you wicked and slothful servant. The servant is wicked and lazy. Oh, church, are we in danger of the same thing? In danger of laziness and the work of God that he has called us to do. Danger uh, of responding to the things that, that he's entrusted to us with laziness. Not caring for the things that he's given to us. Or perhaps danger of thinking that we could just coast into the kingdom of heaven. Thinking we don't need to work. Because after all, Jesus has done all the work. I wonder, do you see that our master and our Lord sees laziness, slothfulness as wickedness and sin? It is no small thing in our lives when we see laziness and slothfulness. And brothers and sisters, it matters how we respond. It matters how we respond in either faithfulness or laziness. We see this in the master's rewards and judgment. Our third point, the master's reward and judgment. First, look at the master's judgment on the third servant. At verse 28. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What happens to this third servant? He's cast out. He's cast out into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the common description Jesus uses for hell. It's the common description used to describe those who are cast into God's eternal judgment. That they will be judged for all eternity for their sin and wickedness. Now we should ask the question here. Is Jesus teaching us that salvation comes through our faithfulness to what's been entrusted to us? Is that what Jesus is saying? You want to enter the kingdom of heaven? Be faithful with what he's entrusted to you. Right? Because after all, the, the, the two are commended and they enter the master's joy. The one is condemned for his laziness and he gets judged. Is Jesus teaching us work salvation? No, he's not. That's not what's going on here. Remember the context in which these parables take place. He's not giving these parables to the masses. No, he's speaking specifically to his disciples, those to whom the kingdom has already been given to. Jesus is teaching how his disciples must wait for his return. He's teaching them about evidences of true discipleship. He's teaching them, this is how it's evidence that you are my disciples as you wait for my return. So how does someone enter the kingdom of heaven? Well, it's not through our own works. It's not through our own righteousness. 
It's not through our own faithfulness to what God has entrusted to us. It's through Jesus Christ and through him alone. See, all of us were made in the very image of God, made to display the God of all creation perfectly to those around us, made to display his justice, his mercy, his beauty, and his greatness, and yet we have all twisted that image. We are broken images of God because we've chosen sin over obedience to our God. Instead of following the God who made us, we've chosen to be gods of our own lives, deciding for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. And because of that, all of us in our sin are not in the kingdom of heaven. We are kicked out of it. We don't deserve to be in God's kingdom because of our sin. We deserve judgment. And yet, in God's kindness, he has sent his one and only son, Jesus. Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, who lives the perfectly faithful and blameless life that none of us have ever lived. And yet, this perfect man would die on a Roman cross. Why? To pay the debts of what his people owe to pay for the sins of his people, to take on himself the very judgment of God that you and I deserve so that we, as sinners, might be brought back into the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus dies and rises on the third day and calls anyone and everyone to trust in him and to turn from their sin. It's as we sung earlier. Do you remember in Come Thou Fount? Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. My non-Christian friend, the way into the kingdom is not through your own works or your own faithfulness. It's firstly through Jesus, through faith and trust in him. And then our parable helps us understand that those who are in the kingdom evidence it with their lives. And what is the evidence Jesus tells us isn't required? They must live faithful lives for his kingdom growth. They must live faithful lives for his kingdom growth. Here we see the evidence of salvation, not the root of it. I wonder if you're here and you profess the faith, and you show little evidence in this regard. You're really here, you really just live for yourself and this world. You have no real interest in God's people, no interest in the Bible, no interest in real spiritual growth or holiness. You just care about showing up on Sunday morning and going on to live with your life. Hear this warning to you. You are in danger. You are in danger of eternal judgment because your life is not evidencing a life of faithfulness. It's not evidencing a life that trusts and loves the Savior. And if you're here, you're not a believer. You wouldn't even profess to be a Christian, and yet you've been attending regularly. You've been hearing the good news of Jesus Christ, and yet you continue to reject him. Be warned of your continued rejection because judgment is coming. My non-Christian friend, it's a dangerous thing to be exposed to the truth of Jesus Christ and continue rejecting it. 
Be warned and turn now and find life in Christ. Well, how about the reward of the faithful? How about the reward of the faithful? Look at verse 21. This is the the master's commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So learn here that these these servants, the, the faithful ones, will be rewarded when the master returns. And what will happen? They will enter the joy of their master. They will experience joyful fellowship in the master's home. That's the point here. Oh, how different is this view of the master than the wicked servant. God is not a tyrant. He is one that brings joy. Oh, church, we know that our God is not a tyrant. He has given us his son. Right? God is not the one who reaps where he does not sow. We are the ones who have reaped in which we have not sown through the work of Christ and what he's done for us. And we experience the joy of our master now, don't we? In part. But this parable reminds us that one day, brothers and sisters, we will know this joy in full. And it will be absolutely glorious. Church, here is our motivation for faithfulness. Not fear, but the joy of our master. Experiencing life with him forevermore. Living in God's kingdom forever with him. We read of this in Revelation chapter 1. Listen to these beautiful and magnificent words. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Brothers and sisters, do we look forward to this day? Do we live in light of this day? Do we desire to hear from our good God and Savior, well done, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. It is here we find strength and motivation to carry on in what the Lord has entrusted to us, the very return of our King Jesus. So church, do you see? Do you see that God expects that we live faithful lives for his kingdom in light of the return of Jesus? So let us both be warned of laziness and sin and unfaithfulness and let us be spurred on to faithfulness to our king. Well, what does it mean for us to be faithful? What has God entrusted to you and I? Here are four ways the Lord has entrusted us with talents. Four ways the Lord has entrusted us with our own talents. First, 
Each of us have been entrusted specific responsibilities from the Lord. Each one of us have been entrusted specific responsibilities from the Lord. Some of us here are married, others are single. Some are parents, some are students, others are bosses, others are employees. The Lord has entrusted each one of us with different spheres of life and different responsibilities. I just want to take some time to walk through some of these categories. It's not every sphere of life, but here are some. Parents. Parents, in your pursuit to care for your children, I wonder, have you been faithful to point them to their greatest need? Have you been faithful to point them to their greatest need? More than school, success, grades, and money, technology, whatever it may be, comfort. They need Jesus. Have you been faithful in teaching them and leading them to him? Singles. I know for some of you, you desire to be married. Trust in the Lord. Trust in his goodness and his sovereignty and don't waste your singleness. You have an amazing ability to display to the world that the church is your family. You have an amazing opportunity to be invested in by mature believers. You have an amazing opportunity to disciple many around you. Listen to the words of Marshall Siegel. One of your greatest spiritual gifts as a single person is your yes. Yes to a random phone conversation. Yes to coffee. Yes to help with the move. Yes to stepping in when someone's sick. Yes to a late night movie or the special event downtown. You have the unbelievable freedom to say yes when married people can't even ask the question. Children, do not think that you are ever too young to trust in the king. Jesus calls even you to himself, to trust in him and to trust in his sacrifice for your sins. And as you trust in him, he also calls you to obey. One of the responsibilities that the Lord has given you is to obey your parents as a display of your trust to the Lord. Employees and students, be it school, middle school, high school, or a job, do you understand that you are called to work? Not just for mere men, but work as unto the Lord. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 to 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus. Husbands, you have been given a high calling to love your wives as Christ has loved the church. I know the days can be long at work. It's easy to simply come home, desire to rest and relax, live in your own world, but brothers, our job is not done when we're off the clock. We are called to care and to cherish our wives and our family. We are cared to, to know our wives, to pray for her, to, to love her, and to serve her. Whether that be the practical things like doing dishes, 
sticking a load in the laundry, doing housework, serving in whatever way you can love your wives. Do it for the sake of Christ. Because in doing so, we obey our call that the Lord has given to us. Let our love be a display of the faithful, sacrificial love of Christ for his bride. Mothers, I know it can be discouraging living in the mundane of what seems the same thing over and over and over again, changing the same nappies, cleaning the house over and over again, caring for for children's hearts who seem to struggle with the same thing time and time and time again. Oh, mothers, I want you to see that what seems mundane are actually moments to bring God great glory and moments to live in faithfulness to him. Listen to the words of Emily Jensen. It might be mundane to fold laundry, but extraordinary to do it patiently with joy and a heart of love. It might be mundane to sit on the couch and read another book to a whiny four-year-old, but it's extraordinary to show kindness and mercy to an undeserving sinner. It might be mundane to, to fill the fridge with groceries, but it's extraordinary to praise God for his provision. Our everyday moments might be ordinary, but when we accomplish them while displaying the fruit of the Spirit, they reflect our extraordinary Savior. Well, the list can go on and on, can't it, with the many ways the Lord has entrusted each of us with responsibilities. We must understand this. We will all give account to our God for what he's entrusted with us. Second, not only does the Lord entrust to us different responsibilities, he's also entrusted to us various gifts. He's entrusted to us various gifts. Now, what are these gifts? They could vary quite a lot, from money to our talents to our homes to our possessions to our time. The point is this, that we use every resource that the Lord has given us to his glory and praise and to the spread of his name that we use every resource that the Lord has given us to the glory of his praise and the spread of his name. Oh, church, we have to understand that everything we have is not to be used for our selfish gain, but to see them as gifts to be used for the spread of his name. That everything we have is not to be used for our selfish gain, but to see them as gifts to be used for the spread of his name. So to use our home, whatever size it might be, to display the hospitality of Christ. To use our money in a way that displays that Christ is our ultimate treasure. To use our time, talents, and gifts, not to serve ourselves, our own comfort, but to serve one another, to serve the church and God's people. Let us use what the Lord has gifted us with for his kingdom. Third, We have been entrusted to be image bearers of God. We have been entrusted to be image bearers of God. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, God not only grants us forgiveness, but he gives us new life in him. He restores our broken image in our sin to a fuller picture of who God is. He restores us to the very image of God we were meant to be. Brothers and sisters, do you understand that we bear the responsibility of reflecting 
the God of our salvation with our entire lives. That our holiness, our fight against sin matters because we show the world who God is. 1 Peter 1, verse 13. Actually, starting in verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Or as Paul reminds us, that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I wonder, has there been an area, in your sin, area of sin in your life where you've grown weary and tired? You've perhaps grown lazy in fighting it. Or perhaps you're, you, you've stopped fighting it and you're, or you're tempted to give in. Oh, uh, I hope this morning is a reminder to you, keep on going. Keep on fighting Fight your sin to the death until our Savior comes back. Because, brothers and sisters, we have been entrusted to represent and display our glorious God. Fourth and finally, we have all been entrusted with the very good news of Jesus Christ. We've all been entrusted with the very good news of Jesus Christ. The book of Matthew is concerned that we see Jesus as the promised Messiah, that he is the promised Savior King, who brings in the kingdom of God through his life, death, and resurrection, and that one day he will return to make all things new. And, and at the end of this book, we see the master leave, and the master entrusts to his disciple talents. Look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Church, this means that we bear a great responsibility with proclaiming and upholding this very message to everyone around us. This isn't just the job of the elders of this church. It isn't just the job of the staff here. No, every single Christian bears this responsibility to be faithful in proclaiming the gospel to all nations. The Lord has placed you where you are for a reason, from your neighborhood to your family, to your workplace, to your school, to your gym, to your relationships, for the soul purpose that you might be a witness for our king that others might hear this good news through your proclamation of it that God saves a sinful people through his son I've had the joy of seeing this faithfully modeled even just yesterday my family had just had a garage sale and we had a couple members come out and at various times as I was dealing with various people, uh, I would hear off the side Lisa Welkner inviting many people who come to church. Hello, welcome. Welcome to the garage sale. You should come to church on Sunday. She did it regularly throughout the sale. 
And even later on, other members would join in, sharing the gospel with people who would come to our home for a garage sale. That's a model of gospel faithfulness. Praise God for examples like that in our church, and there are many. Well, brothers and sisters, do you see that the Lord has, in fact, entrusted us with much? And do you see that, that the Lord has entrusted each one of us according to his own purposes? We might not all have the same responsibilities, but we all have the same calling. Be faithful with what the Lord has entrusted to us. With that comes a warning. Let us not fall to the trap of comparing ourselves to one another. Did you notice that the master doesn't give the first servant a bigger reward than the second? There's no comparison being made to the two. It's exactly the same. Verse 21, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. Verse 23, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. Oh, brothers and sisters, don't be discouraged if your life doesn't look exactly like the lives of another Christian. Learn and be challenged by their faithfulness, yes. Absolutely, be spurred on. But do not think that faithfulness means being exactly like them in every regard because you are not them you are called to be faithful with what the lord has entrusted to you don't be focused on why hasn't the lord given me this responsibility or this gifting focus on what the lord has entrusted to you my elders i am so thankful for your work and your care for this flock. You will each one day give account for how you have shepherded this flock. This is a fearful yet joyful responsibility. The Lord has given each of you different giftings in the ministry to which I am thankful, to which our whole congregation is thankful. Please remember and know that you are not called to be a John Piper. You're not called to be an Al Mohler or, or, or whatever person you look up to and desire to be exactly like. No, you are called to be a faithful elder in the way that God has made you. You are called to care for his flock in the various ways that the Lord has given you the ability to do so. So just be faithful and plot on. Oh, church, let us simply seek to be faithful to what the Lord has entrusted to us. I know it's a lot, and it might seem daunting to think, what has the Lord entrusted to me? There's so many things. How can I know? Here are three quick ways we can know for being faithful. One, we study God's word. We study God's word. God's word gives us an understanding of how we are all called to live in light of God's truth. So even all my applications earlier all came from the word of God. So this afternoon, read through Ephesians chapter 5 and 6 where we see this modeled. Read through Colossians chapter 5. All the scriptures give us a worldview in which we understand how we are called to be faithful in our lives. Second, we live our entire lives for the kingdom of God. We think about how can we build the kingdom of Christ through every aspect of of our lives, nothing is untouched by the glory of our great God. And third and finally, we help one another. 
we help one another. If you're wondering how you can be a faithful Christian, wondering what responsibilities you've been given from the Lord, talk to one another. So even as we uh, leave this morning and go to lunch, talk to one another. What are the responsibilities the Lord has given you? How are you being faithful? How can you grow in being more faithful? What are responsibilities that you see in my life that I've been failing in? This is why we need the local church. This is why you shouldn't just be a member of a local church, but you should also be involved in actual relationships in the church because we help one another grow in greater faithfulness. Well, I hope you've seen this morning that God expects that we all live faithful lives for his kingdom in light of the return of Jesus. And while doomsday preppers live in light of the end of the world, Christian, we live in light of the return of our king. So let us strive together toward that day to desire to hear from our good and gracious master, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Let us pray together. Father, what an astounding reality that you choose sinful men to represent you. That in your kindness, you have not only chosen to save a sinful people through your son, but you've chosen to use a sinful people for the spread of your name. That is a weighty and glorious responsibility. Father, give us wisdom on, on how we can be more faithful with our lives. For your kingdom, we pray. Help us consider the coming of our, uh, our king and live in light of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.